I did want to dive into uh, certain things that I've read um, for this episode in particular, because I think this is an important um, topic and, and a, a confusing topic for a lot of people. Blockchain, these keywords rather, blockchain, metaverse, um, DAO, and we're going to get into what these, me- what these mean, how Arena factors into this um, and everything else. But again, I want to thank you for doing the show. Um, real quick, if we could start with an intro. Um, who you are and, and, and a slight overview of what arena your company is. Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Chase Thompson. I'm CEO and one of the co-founders of arena. Um, I spent the past, let's say six years in the crypto space, uh, mostly doing exchange work um, at an exchange. I met one of my co-founders and then through him met another one of my co-founders and we were all, passionate about crypto, passionate about gaming. So um, kind of naturally came to this, let's do something in crypto and gaming. Um, found some, what, what I would call challenges or problems, and then just kind of tried to solve those and built from there. Um, so Arena, um, the whole concept, the whole point of Arena is to bring play to earn to any game. Um, doesn't matter if it's a blockchain crypto game, if it's a game like chess, if it's a mobile game, if there's groups of people that are playing the game, um, it's a good match for Arena. Right. So let's also um, explain what play to earn really looks like in the context of blockchain. What what does play to earn mean? Sure. So play to earn is, it, I think it started, I'd say like the grandfather of the play to earn movement is Axie Infinity. And the whole concept was you you play our game and we reward you with tokens. Um, And then you can sell those tokens for cash or you can use those tokens within the economy of the game, but they have some real world value and they're yours and you get them for playing. Um, And that's, in terms of what we see commonly in play to earn today, it's typically games that are built that have economies within in them. So, and really it comes down to play our game, get rewarded. Um, and that concept's really important because, you know, time and attention as we are seeing develop over time have value. Um, companies have been monetizing people's time and attention for a long time. So what play to earn enables is for, the actual gamer themselves to be back in control of, you know, let's call it their time, attention, potentially their data, and they can choose, you know, how they want to deploy those things and be rewarded for those things. Um, I would say that the, the tact that we're taking that's different is rather than building a specific game and trying to build an economy within that game, and then trying to keep that game relevant over the long period of time, uh, over the long term, we want to build a play to earn concept that really goes to wherever gamers want to be you know if they want to be playing chess when they're 12 and then they want to be playing call of duty when they're 17 we still want to be able to service them throughout their gaming journey and make sure that they're still getting rewarded for their time and attention right and as i saw on your website they can still use those tokens to do cool things within the platform um and i did want to talk about how the utility is essentially created. So for Axie Infinity, um, how how does their token have value in, in the real world sense? How can they sell, how, or how can a, a user that earned or was rewarded those tokens sell and make money? 
So mechanically, the way that it works is because all of the game assets or the ones that are worth money are, they live on a blockchain. Um, the user can essentially take those and swap them super easily on any you know decentralized exchange that has liquidity for those assets and turn it into you know whether it's usd backed coin or uh, synthetic bitcoin or ethereum or whatever they want to do they can take those video game assets they don't need anyone's permission and then they can go straight to uniswap straight to you know matcha xyz very easily trade that for another coin it's it's really, really a simple process once you get the mechanics of how, like, this is my wallet and this is how I custody my coins. And this is, you know, if, if you know the basics, it's a very, very simple process. Right. Sorry. What I meant to ask was how did those tokens have real world um, monetary value? Uh, like what gives them that value? So it's, it's basically other, what Axie has done is they've created a, I mean, it's a simple supply-demand curve. There's people who are playing the game who need those tokens to do whatever they do within the game, um, and they will buy those on the open market. If you know, I, I haven't gone deep into playing Axie myself. It's not really my kind of game, but um, you know, demand is created just within the game mechanics. Like you need those tokens in order to do certain things with the game or in order to perform better within the game. So it's a pretty smart little system that they've built. Right. And as more and more people want to invest in um, the project, the value of the tokens goes higher. So you kind of also profit off of that as well. Um, yeah, where you where you really get value accrual is from more people joining the gaming ecosystem who then need those tokens to do, you know, breed the axes or, you know, battle the axes or whatever. Again, I'm not super familiar with that game specifically because I don't play it, but creating demand is just, you know, you need the token to do something within the game. Your user base grows, the value of the token is going to grow. Right, absolutely. Um, and in terms of gaming, it is a massive industry. And um, I think that was put on display. Well, it's always been on display, but to the mainstream, I think, in my opinion, it was put on display through Fortnite and what it did um, with the tournaments and everything, especially the prize pool. Um, I think the World Cup winner made headlines all over the all over the world, essentially winning around, I think, $3 million. And, um, and then I've read that you think the community is still underserved so I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that. In what ways do you think it's underserved? And how does Arena sort of bridge that gap? Right. So I wasn't talking specifically about Fortnite, um, but I think the concept of community gaming is generally underserved in terms of tech services, infrastructure, um, team league infrastructure, kind of like the core primitives that let you build stuff on top of, you know, that you, that you could build out an ecosystem. If an analogy I always like to draw is if you go to an NBA game, um, you know, and you survey the fans, I would guess like 5%, maybe 10% of the fans like play intramural basketball, right? Like I, I wouldn't suppose it would be much more than, I, I would probably guess it'd be 5%. Right. Now, if you go to like, 
an in-person video game tournament and you survey the crowd, I'm going to guess it's kind of inverse. It's like 95% at least are playing that game. So gaming, gaming is a, is very, very participatory in terms of like fans are usually gamers, right? Um, there's, there, I'm sure there are some people who just enjoy watching people play games, but most people like they're gamers themselves, right? So we have, you know, we have intramural leagues for sports and stuff like that. Um, but then when you look at gaming, we don't really have, there's, there's individual games that do stuff around their game and for their community, but there's not really this like, you know, far reaching infrastructure that gamers can use if they're, you know, not everyone, you know, I'm a professional, I don't have time or the skill or the interest in being a professional gamer, right? Um, so a lot of a lot of companies treat gaming like it's like traditional sports. They're, they treat it like it's geographically bound. They treat it like it's, you know, they invest in it like they would invest in traditional sports. Um, and unfortunately that's a bit misguided because for gamers, what they need is they need infrastructure to coordinate gameplay with one another. They need infrastructure to do, you know, easy, easily spin up tournaments, easily manage teams, easily manage brackets. Um, and that stuff doesn't really exist. There's a few one-off tools, um, but typically what gamers are doing, um, you know, you'll get a streamer and his community will want to play chess, for example. Maybe they'll face off against two or three other streamers and their communities. They've got these super complicated Google Sheets and it's just a mess and it's actually it turns a lot of people off from even participating in stuff because they don't want to learn like the macros and the formulas and how to like manage you know so anyway we started looking at this and saying like why is you know this is this is a multi-billion dollar a year sector in the market why is no one building anything for them and i think i think people will and i think you're going to start to see more of it and i think you're going to see start to see more investment but hopefully we're ahead of the curve I'd say so as well. Um, and I think I, I really, uh, like I was saying off recording, I really admire that um, you and your team are working on this because, you know, when, when I was gaming, when I was younger and I would game, it was virtually impossible to find a tournament to get into. Um, it was primarily just watching tournaments and you were watching people that, you know, really had to get to a certain level to even participate or qualify. And, to give everybody an opportunity to um, to give everybody an opportunity to set up their own tournament, play with their friends, and get rewarded for it, I think is a beautiful thing, and it speaks to what the blockchain um, and blockchain technology allows us to do. If you want to touch on uh, what a DAO is and um, how that factors into giving gamers the ability or giving certain projects the ability to compete against each other in a decentralized way. Sure. So DAO stands for Digital Autonomous Organization. Um, hopefully I didn't mix that up. But yeah, so a DAO is basically like a federation or a, you could almost think of it like a corporation, like a company that lives on the blockchain. There is no like LLC, there is no S Corp. It's just a group of people who have come together with some sort of common interest um, and the rules of the organization are governed by code. Um, sounds really boring, but it's actually like a primitive for 
what's going to be one of the most explosive growth sectors, I think, in the next, you know, decade. Um, because what it, it enables people to do is it's going to, like, if you think about changing the concept of, you know, how people organize, how they get paid, how they work, how they contribute, how they group together in, in, in common goal of some, you know, some common interests that they all share. Mm-hmm. It's really, like I said, the primitive, the, the core of enabling all of that coming together. So, you know, there's DAOs that do group investment packs and everyone brings, you know, what they call alpha to the table and they invest as a group. And, you know, theory being 10 heads are better than one. Or you have a protocol like what we're going for with Arena, um, where it can be owned by the users that use and love the platform as opposed to, you know, just us. Um, and this is this is really what I'm really getting at is like the uh, the progress from web one to web two to web three. DAOs are very, very much a web three concept where users own the protocols that that they participate in and they get to decide what happens. Um, and that's the most important thing. It's not that they get to pick everything that would happen on Arena, but they can vote um, for what matters to them and the direction, the strategic direction of how protocols are going to move forward. Could you explain so, that a little bit further, like, please? Sorry to interrupt, um, but that, that no. point of giving users the ability to vote on which what essentially happens, um, what's an example of that? What's an example of that? Okay, so, I mean, can I, a good example of that, I think the best DAO structure I've seen is the DeFi primitive written out by Curve, which is Curve.Fi. They're, they're a like-kind exchange protocol. So it's, it's an exchange, a decentralized exchange, and they have the Curve token, CRV, and users can vote escrow lock token their curve token over different durations of periods for different amounts of voting power so if you lock your tokens for four years you have more voting power than if you lock your tokens for one year um i'm probably getting way too out from from a novice example to a very exact advanced example but the, the curve dow model seems to be the most successful that i've seen in the whole space um, because it's very like participatory users are still using it every day. What users are typically voting on is the levels of rewards that each liquidity pool receives. So, you know, if I'm providing liquidity to a certain pool, I have vested interest in voting for that pool, receiving more reward tokens. Um, a, a more simple, like, first, like, I'll make an example up, you know, if there's a social media platform that's owned by the users via, vis-a-vis a token, um, you know, those users can vote with their tokens um, for what types of, you know, is advertising allowed on the platform or is, you know, what types of data can be shared. Um, you know, maybe the protocol allows users to opt in. What kinds of rewards are the users going to get for sharing data? These types of things. So really what a DAO is, is rather than 
again, going back to this, the basics is rather than having an incorporation, you the percentage of the protocol that you own is the percentage of the tokens that you own, the government's tokens. Um, the cool thing about crypto is tokens can serve dual purposes, right? Like, so my, you know, my arena tokens, maybe I can vote for, you know, how much prize pool a gaming tournament's going to have, but then I can also spend those tokens for merchandise in a store. And then potentially I could also stake those tokens and earn more tokens. So crypto assets are really cool because they're so composable. You can do so many things with them. Um, and, you know, DAOs are kind of just the frameworks by which we organize the people, the economics and everything else underneath. Right. Absolutely. Um, so if an individual buys a lot of tokens, does their authority in terms of decision-making increase or is there a governing body that sort of mitigates that? No, typically their authority increases. There's different, there's different governance mechanisms and measures with different protocols. Um, you know, if we, if we look at like layer one protocols, um, Sometimes it's like a direct democracy type of thing. Sometimes you delegate your votes to different people. There's basically everything under the sun that we've seen in traditional governance models and then some. Um, but typically, especially at like application layer type stuff, the more tokens you hold, the, the bigger your voice. Um, and there's a lot of free, I mean, like if you look at the game theory behind why that is, you're always going to want to be doing things. If you hold a lot of the tokens, you're going to want to do things in the interest of the protocol. Mm. So the long-term interest of the protocol, because you know, if you hold a lot, you need a lot more people to be a lot more excited about what's happening. So yeah, typically more tokens you hold, the greater your voice is. Mm. Um, excuse my ignorance for this next question, but how do you prevent um, people that have a large amount of authority to take advantage of the system or to pull out? And, you know, we, we hear about rug pulls all the time. We hear about people getting scammed. How does, what, what preventative mechanisms exist within a DAO to kind of not allow that to happen? Sure. So the scam element, typically doesn't have much i mean it can like if you look at what's happening with wonderland right now but typically it doesn't have much to do with with governance um typically like scams are really related to either about like a design that gets exploited unfortunately like hacks do happen it's incredibly new and difficult space to build in um, but typically a, a scam or a rug pull is when you get a dishonest bad actor team that intends to do so from the start. So, you know, they build up a whole bunch of, you know, kind of fake roadmap, fake, fake site, fake plans, and then they end up just kind of keeping people's money and riding off into the sunset. That's like the typical rug pull or scam. It doesn't really have so much to do with DAO and governance. Um, now, sorry, what, what was the first question? Um, the first question was basically, I, I think you answered it. I, I just wanted to know that within a DAO, is, a rug is, is rug pulling possible? Like, can people get rug pulled if they're participating in a DAO and 
whatever authority, um, I guess whatever individual has majority authority or more authority, can they right. create a rug pull? Not really. They can, like, again, the game theory around that is more of like, if you do something that's really in your, your own interest, you're going to hurt the, you're going to hold so many of the tokens that you're going to hurt the value of that token. And you're going to lose more money than you would have made by scamming or whatever. So yeah, I typically think of rug pulls and scams in a, in a different sort of context than, than DAO governance. Now, if you look at what's happening with time and wonderland and, you know, there's certainly a, some bad actors who are voting for some dodgy stuff. Um, and I mean, that's happening in real time right now, but it's a very particular way that we got into this situation um, with that, with regards to that and pretty difficult to replicate, I think. It's, it's, it's just a kind of an edge case. I, so I'm not super, I, I wasn't an investor in, in any of these projects, but that, the the headlines that I know is this dude on Twitter, Zach XBT, I think is his handle. Um, he's kind of this internet sleuth. Um, I really enjoy following him because he's always finding and exposing scammers and rug pullers. Um, and he uncovered that one of the sort of the manager of the treasury of a specific DAO was this known scammer and fraudster. Um, who was the co-founder of the Canadian exchange, Quadriga. Now, little history, um, something happened with this centralized exchange in Canada where Gerald Cotton, one of the founders, mysteriously goes to India and dies. Um, and his co-founder rides off into the sunset and money's gone. And that was kind of the end of the story. So this, this mysterious other co-founder who I guess has this long criminal past, um, Turns out he's this guy who goes by Sifu now, and Sifu is Zero X Sifu is in charge of this massive, I think, half a billion dollar Dow treasury. So that's what kicked off this whole thing. And then there was votes like, do we keep this guy in? Do we? And you know, the founder of the project, or or one of the leaders, I shouldn't say, the founder said he vouches for, for, but it turned into this whole mess. Mm. both politics and financial mess and um there you know there are advanced ways that people can do things with DAOs, with governance where they can i guess somewhat financially benefit but um again i think i think this is kind of a one-off i hope at least um and that people learn their lessons and that you know, you don't let a known scammer manage your half a billion dollar treasury. Right. Um, and how does an average investor um, avoid this situation? I mean, with Time Wonderland, for me personally, I was skeptical just looking at the APY being offered. And, um, <laughs> and we could kind of explain that a you little bit. You know, it's like 18,000% well. is. Uh... Yeah, 18,000% isn't uh, sustainable to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear. Um, if you want to explain on on how they can even deliver that and what that means, because I've seen it go from eighteen thousand to eight to seven, so it does decrease the more money um, that is uh, I guess uh, deployed or given to people. 
but how does that yeah. system work exactly? So um, I don't want to speak specifically to that system because like, again, I wasn't super under the hood on that specific project. But if we go back to like Curve, for example, let's say there's a USDC, USDT pool and governance has voted that there's going to be a million Curve tokens given as rewards for you know, liquidity providers in that pool. Now, if I, as a guy, provide all of the liquidity for that pool, I'm getting all a million tokens. So let's say I put in one USDC and one USDT, and that's the only liquidity in the pool. Well, guess what? I'm getting a million curve tokens. Um, like this is a farcical example that would never happen, right? Because the other people will see, oh my God, there's huge APY from this pool and they'll put money in. But this is essentially how numbers are derived. Like, you know, if I put in $2 and I'm getting what curve, I don't know if it's three bucks right now and I'm getting $3 million over a week long period, like I, I'm not good enough to do the napkin math right now, but like that's that's some serious interest, right? Like that's millions of percent APY or something like that. So as more capital comes in, that that million million curve reward token is split among the additional liquidity providers. And it's it's basically pro rata based on how much liquidity you provide. So you know, does, does that make sense? So as there's more liquidity added, um, it's the same million curve tokens that's being distributed across pool members. There's just more pool members and more liquidity for it to split between. So less APY keeps decreasing the more people invest. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so initially, if you invest and you're one of the first people to invest, you're getting a ridiculous interest. But are you actually yeah. getting paid on that? Like, how are you getting paid on that? Yeah, so to, like mechanically, there's there's a smart contract, and it will, um, it will basically. I, I'm not technical. I don't write smart contracts, um, sure. but you know, high level Cliff Notes version of what's happening is you know whatever the interval is, whether it's a second or a minute, or an hour or a day. It's typically something like a minute, I think. Um, it'll say how much liquidity are you providing, how much liquidity is in the pool, here's your share. And then it'll basically parcel it out for each person, keep track of the math for who has what. And then as the user, I can go click the withdraw button and take those tokens out. So mechanically, the reason they do that is so that, you know, Ethereum's expensive to transact with. So the user pays the gas fee to get their tokens out. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. Um, the original question, um, how can an average investor sort of avoid getting rug pulled or even 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 when it comes to nfts there are a lot of projects that don't really have utility or don't really have a future i remember the first nft that i bought is just sitting there has no value um nothing has happened with the floor price the project has no um existence on social media discord right so it's kind of a my intro, and I and I, I do believe you got to spend a you know a little bit of money to really understand how it works. And you're gonna buy bad NFTs, you're gonna invest in bad projects. But as more information around this comes out, and um, individuals that are building real projects like yourself uh, come on shows and inform people, what would you say to the average investor who wants to avoid getting rug pulled 
um, or wants to invest in something that has a future? It's, it's such a, it's funny because it's almost a really difficult question to answer because when I got into this space originally, I remember combing through everything in Reddit, everything on Twitter. I would literally read everything about crypto multiple times a day. I'd be like, is there anything new in Reddit? Is there anything? There was so much signal and so little noise, right? There was, you know, you could have direct conversations with people who were, you know, the, the OGs today in the crypto spaces, you know, you could message them on Twitter. They, they were, everyone was super open, easy to talk to. I mean, it's still kind of like that to some degree, but it was a lot easier back then. It was such a small space. Um, now, like there is so much noise and so little signal. Like I can't even keep up with what's happening with individual projects on specific blockchains you know, let alone everything that's happening in the Ethereum or Bitcoin ecosystem. So it's more challenging. I think the thing that people really need to do first is kind of get a core foundation. Um, and the core foundation, like even before you get the technical side of it, like get the philosophical side, um, what I always recommend is start with Andreas Antonopoulos. Is Internet of Money, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. I did them audiobooks, short, easy, awesome listens. Still good to go back and listen to today. Um, so I, it cut out, it cut out really, for one second. Would you mind repeating what the author in the book is? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, Andreas no Antonopoulos. Um, so, so my first starting point for anybody I recommend for when they're getting into this space, Andreas Antonopoulos' Internet of Money series, volumes one, two, and three. And I, I did those on audiobook. Super easy, great listens. I uh, still go back and listen to them from time to time. I like um, Jordan Fish, uh, who goes by the name Kobe, publishes on Substack. Read all of his stuff. Um, there's not a lot, but it's pretty brilliant. Um, Arthur Hayes, uh, who is the founder of BitMEX, his blog, which I think like his writing typically comes up on the BitMEX blog. Guy's an absolute genius. Um, those are very, very good reads to kind of understanding core concepts. Um, there's more, but I guess start there. From there, make sure you are very technically literate. So that the, the the tech, you don't want to get like technically rug pulled. You don't want to like give give some scammer in a Discord your seed phrase. You don't want to do something stupid. You don't want to download bad software. So make sure, make sure your security is up to check. Use a hardware wallet. I've always used a ledger. Um, they've always been fantastic. Um, you can use a ledger in conjunction with MetaMask. Um, you still have to practice, you know good security. So you kind of just got to read about best practices, you know, you know, Ledger puts out material. Um, you have to make sure that you're not making it easy for people to scam you. Now, the way that most people get scammed, unfortunately, isn't, you know, for, for the biggest amount of money, isn't these sort of technical things where they're exposing their seed phrases, I don't think. I think it's, you know, you get overexcited about an investment or you get duped by some charming charismatic person online and all of a sudden you trust them. That's, that's more of like, I don't, I don't know if that's a nature or nurture problem. Um, I don't know if it's a 
you just can't put all your eggs in one basket problem. Um, you just have to, you know, these, this, it's a wild, wild market. Um, you're getting VC style returns. You've got to treat investments like VC style investments. You know, this isn't like the, you're not going to be guaranteed if you're going into new protocols and untested things that you expect to be making, you know, 400 X a year. That might work sometimes, but most of the time those investments are going to blow up. Um, so you just have to be, that, that doesn't, doesn't even mean the team's scamming necessarily. Maybe they have an overambitious thing and their protocol ends right. up not working. That, that happens too. Like you, you can invest in a company and that company can go bankrupt. It doesn't mean that the, the company isn't trying to deliver. But I think in terms of, you know, not getting scammed, not investing, that typically happens way out of the yield curve where you're trying to be really early and you're not really doing your diligence and you kind of just ape into something. Well, sometimes that works and sometimes people run away with all your money. So, you know, get involved, try to try. I've learned plenty of expensive lessons. Like there's, there is a, there's absolutely a tuition to be paid um, for being good at, you know, deciphering what's a good project to invest in and what's not. Um, and sometimes the ones that you think are not turn out to be good. Um, but you just kind of have to figure out how, you know, your own system, what, what your own skill sets enable you to do. Like I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not technical enough to go kick the tires on people's smart contracts, but I do know there's, there's a couple things you look for. Um, you know, can they mint as many tokens as they want? How's, how are the smart contracts? You know, is there a multi-sig? Who's on it? Are they anonymous? Are they doxed in public? Um, you kind of just have to learn your own system and see how that works for you over time. Right. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting space to be in. And I think with majority of people kind of coming in, trying to make money, trying not to miss out on, you know, projects that they think are going to have a similar trajectory as the OG projects, CryptoPunks, Board Apes, right? Or what's the new one now? Crypto Skulls? That's another one that just emerged out of nowhere, but it's been around. I think the, it's the crypto. Sacred Skulls, the uh, Crypto Skulls. I, I'm not open, open seeds. <laughs> Anyway, um, the, the new projects, I guess what I'm trying to say is the barrier to entry is really high if you want to invest in something that is proven to work and has great community behind it. Um, whereas a new project, how do you determine if it has potential? I'm looking at a project right now called Pixelmon. It's like Pokemon in the metaverse. And they're already like 150,000 followers on Twitter. You can't even get into the Discord. So how do you even determine if it's, it's you know, based on just demand alone, you could assume, oh, the floor is going to shoot up um, right after Mint. But how do you determine if it has potential long-term? I guess it's just just like everything else because they're, they're not like, I guess your point about being technically savvy is important because you may not have reports like for a company you want to invest in. You can look at their financials. You can look at who's who's running the company. But in this case, anonymity kind of helps a lot of people. Um, and yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, if you want to speak on that more, we can. If not, I do have one closing question. Um, it's up to you. Yeah, 
I, I mean, I'm certainly, I've always been a better, like, crypto protocol token investor than I have been an NFT investor, just in terms of, like, personal success on financial return. Like, I've got an NFT collection. I think they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw you have a board ape I think have or legs. a mutant ape. Is that correct? I, I did, yeah. I, I actually sold my mutant right before this run. Um, very very stupidly so like i said i'm not the i'm not the best uh nft investor um but you know even for nfts you know look at their roadmap see if it makes sense like ask yourself with nfts is typically about gaming and community engagement or you know like what are they going to do with these things are you going to get like board Ape yacht club did drops for all their members for future nfts like what's in their roadmap and does it make sense and does that get me excited um, now you could say yes to all those things. The project could still fail, but it's better than, I don't know. I'm just kind of, you know, shooting from the hip and seeing what, what hits spaghetti into the wall. Um, it's a lot easier for like layer ones or applications, you know, just traditional ERC 20 tokens for me, because I've just lived in that space for so long. I can look, you know, okay how does this protocol work? Are they just copying Ethereum and claiming that they're going to be better? Um, you know, what, what's the use case? What differentiates them? And then more importantly, where are the developers? Are people actually building that? Are they building on that? Um, I can tell you, I remember back in 2017, 2018, all the Ethereum killers that were coming out. Um, I had never met a single developer on any of those protocols. Um, I don't, I don't want to name names because some of them are still around and kind of, kind of zombies, but, um, you know, I had never met a single person building on a lot of these protocols. And for me, like, yeah, okay. Price is going up. Great. Um, but look at where we are now. They're all but dead. Most people are underwater on their ICO purchases and didn't turn out good for anybody. Also know your game. Like, are you a long, are you an investor? Are you a day trader? Like, what are you? Like, if you're an investor, like I consider myself an investor, I'm not drawing lines on charts. I have to kind of believe in something to hold it through 90% drawdown, which I've done, you know, um, if you don't believe in it, it gets really hard to hold something through tough times. So is the team active? Are they doing stuff, you know, are they pushing the envelope forward? Are they copying other, like what's, you kind of have to start asking some of these bigger questions and you don't need to be super technical to, to do that. You do have to like get out there. You have to talk to people. You have to be in discord. You have to try to go to conferences, you know, um, that should really inform you as to whether there's a future there. Uh, we, like, I'll tell you, like I kind of started with Bitcoin, you know, came for Bitcoin and stayed for Ethereum. Um, a lot of Ethereum people really don't like Solana, but I'll tell you, you know, there is a Solana ecosystem, there is developers, there is community, they have major VC backers, like, I'd be surprised if Solana wasn't around in five years. Um, you know, I'm still more bullish on Ethereum, but these are kind of the conversations I have with myself in my head when I'm trying to right. evaluate opportunities and no, absolutely. I think that's the best way to approach it. Um, just having a long-term perspective as well, because this is essentially the future, uh, whether people like it or not. I see a lot of people still confused about 
what really is going on um kind of you know writing this narrative off that the metaverse is going to be a significant part of our lives as it is um i did want to ask you how do you think that integration is going to occur meaning from your perspective how do you think we're gonna sort of integrate or how is blockchain gonna integrate um more and more within real life essentially well okay let's take this as like a like a metaverse type question um i i would say that it already has um so you know when we look at things like well, sorry do we want to talk about metaverse specifically or blockchain specifically integrating let's do metaverse or let's do metaverse okay yeah i think my answer is a little better for metaverse here because so i i would say that the metaverse um is already kind of integrating into people's lives and they don't really see it i so the meta what the metaverse is and what the metaverse is not is a good place to start um it's not just a vr headset it's not like this chat room that everyone just hangs out in that's i know that's what you know facebook or meta wants everyone to think but no that's not what it is and they might be able to co-opt a little piece of it but ultimately it's a much bigger thing than than what one company is going to put forward to me what the metaverse is is it's when the things the digital things in people's lives start to take up more and more um percentage value from the physical things so it's it's like a gradient it's not a binary thing it's like to me in some ways like netflix is the metaverse um you know you used to have dvd blu-ray co collections now you have netflix like that's a transference from physical to digital um you used to have gold and dollars and all of this and now you have usdc and eth and bitcoin um that's transference to the metaverse so you know, there's certain things that you do in life that will take longer to transcend or transfer into the digital. But to me, we're already seeing kind of this acceleration of the move to the metaverse. But again, it's not a VR headset. It's the things that people do in their life, the things in people's lives that have value going from physical to digital. Absolutely. And um, as we see, or we hear about a lot of companies kind of building um, their own versions or their own worlds uh, within the metaverse, I think it's going to become more and more apparent that this is what the future is going to look like. Um, and I think having fami familiarity with, you know, how NFTs work, how blockchain technology works is going to be really valuable. Um, and it, it's kind of the same thing with, with your company arena, just having a presence being a virtual arena, allowing people to compete with no barrier in terms of who can get access and who can't. Um, it's, you know, it's unlimited arenas, essentially, that people can compete in. And um, I think it's a very, very admirable thing. Again, I'm super excited to see how it, how it goes. Um, and yeah, please let everybody know where they can find the website, where they can find you and anything else you'd like. Yeah, definitely. So we're at arena.gl. Um, you can find us on Twitter at arena.gl. Um, and I will drop a Discord invite link to you um, afterwards. If you could put that in the description, come hang out with Absolutely. us. That's where we typically are. Yeah.
I will do. Cool. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let me hit um.